Thanks for joining us for our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're currently in our series, Fresh Fruit, where we are diving into the fruit of the Spirit. As a believer, the fruit of the Spirit should be coming out of our lives. It should be shown in all that we say and do. Just as when you see an apple tree, you see apples on it. As a Christian, others should see you and see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They should see Jesus in us. Our vertical relationship with God must be lived out in our horizontal relationships with others. So let's jump in together to this week's message of fresh fruit. We're so glad you're here. I'm Celia Grace Denny, and I've been going to Rolling Hills for three years. I think faithfulness is someone who is loyal and someone who is steadfast, um, somebody who is all in and shows up, somebody who's committed is, is really important. I think that it's important to be faithful because God is faithful to us. And so as followers of Jesus, one of the things that we can do is be faithful back to Him. And so that's working through our local body of believers, working through our daily quiet time with scripture. Um, it's a way to engage in a relationship with Jesus. Sometimes that, that gets hard because things aren't happening the way that we want them to or on our deadline. Um, and so it can be difficult to think that nothing is happening, but God is still working even when we can't see it. If someone came to me and told me that they were struggling to see God's faithfulness or to believe that God is faithful, I would have them recount the times that God was faithful and walk back through their journey with the Lord and, and point out those times of remember when He did this, remember when He did that, remember when He gave you this. You know, the Lord has been good the whole time. And, and to call out those things, I think, helps us remember of, okay, the Lord was faithful then, He's gonna be faithful now, even when we can't see it. Good morning. I'm really glad that you're here today. My name is Nick Allen, and I get the privilege of being the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills Community Church. And although you've already been welcomed here this morning, I wanna do the same thing by saying welcome. We're really glad that you're here. We're moving through a series called Fresh Fruit that's all about the fruits of the Spirit from the book of Galatians. Paul's writing to the church there, telling them that the fruit of the Spirit was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness is where we land today. We have two more weeks coming up, gentleness and self-control, and we're literally identifying one fruit a week and understanding better what it means for that fruit to be applied to our lives. Now, when I was a kid, now I don't remember this story at all, but it has been told to me over and over and over again. There was a moment. I am the fourth of seven grandchildren, so there are three that are older than me, and then between siblings and cousins, three that are younger than me on my mother's side. One of the older cousins was a boy named Eric. Is a boy named Eric. Was. Okay, sorry, buddy. Okay, one of the cousins is a guy named Eric, and he's several years older than I am, and there apparently had been some occurrence at my grandmother's house when we were children that Eric did something that was less than ideal, and I followed him and did the exact same thing. Now, in my memory, in fact, I don't think in anybody's memory, our parents included, no one really remembers what that thing was, but it's been told often at Family Gap, really at inopportune moments, about me, that when I did the exact same thing, my parents looked at me and said, 
Nicholas. That ought to be an indication of like how long ago this story took place because nobody's called me that in a hundred years. Nicholas, why did you do that? And I quickly and confidently must have responded and said, because Eric did. To which his mother was obviously upset at him, but then my parents looked at me, and many of the parents and grandparents in this room have borrowed a page out of this parenting handbook and done the exact same thing at different moments and said, well, if Eric jumped off the roof of this house, would you do that too? And just as confidently and just as quickly, I must have responded, yes, (laughs) ma'am. There is this understanding, this, this framework in life that some of the things that we do are because everybody else is doing it or because someone else has influenced us in order to do it. There's peer pressure, there's crowdsourcing, there's Facebook surveys. Like if we make our decisions in life based on what box somebody checks on Instagram, we are doomed. Like we know that's happening. We're literally just trying to figure out what the popular opinion is and doing that. So if we are going to follow suit with what everybody else is doing, make sure that it's the right everybody else's that we are following. I read a book last year, and it's by an author named John Mark Comer, and um, people like John Mark and then Celia Grace, who you just saw on that video, they do me hope that my own double-named children, Lily Kate and Nora Blake, will move into adulthood and not drop one of those names. So way to go, John Mark. Way to go, Celia Grace. And so John Mark Comer writes this book. It's called Live No Lies, And it literally identifies for us the enemies that we have in the world. Kelly Minter was teaching the goodness uh, of virtue last week, the the Holy Spirit virtue of goodness. And she used this passage from Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read that again this morning. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Whoa, that's a bad sentence to start off the day, Nick Allen. Um, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And then it says in verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, everybody was doing it. Like the rest, Everybody was doing it, and we were by nature deserving of the wrath of God, and that's what made us dead in our own sins. And we're all stuck there. And the Apostle Paul and the early church fathers from that specific passage of Scripture, they identified for us what our enemies are in life. It's literally the ways of the world. Like there is a cultural norm of everybody moving in one big solid direction. And so we naturally feel that I've got to jump on board and move in that direction too. There is a culture and it's always moving away from the heartbeat of God. So if we jump on board and move in the direction of culture, we're going to be moving away from the heart of God too. There's enemy number one. Enemy number two is the father of lies. Literally, the devil, the enemy himself, who has been deceiving people since the Garden of Eden, way back at the very beginning, this passage of Scripture calls him the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So we've got the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, who's literally lying to us and perverting truth all the time to try to get us to believe him instead of believing God. And then finally, verse 3, the cravings of our own flesh. One of the biggest challenges that we face in life is when we misname and misunderstand our enemies. If I'm literally blaming other people in the world for the tactics of the evil one, then I'm fighting the wrong enemy. If I'm literally blaming the enemy, the evil one, for my own sinful, selfish desires, then I'm combating the wrong 
enemy, Paul and early church fathers, they knew rightly that we had three battlefronts in life, and that's what we had to engage. Modern psychology calls it confirmation bias or the false consensus effect. You see, there's this theory that says you and I assume that everyone else out there, or at least the majority of people out there, are just like us. We are inclined always to see our own behavioral choices and our own judgments as relatively common and appropriate to existing circumstances. That means that we assume that our natural preferences, we assume that our personal qualities, that our characteristics, that our beliefs, that our actions are what is relatively widespread through the general population. I assume that you are all coffee drinkers because I am. And I'm baffled why anybody wouldn't want to because this should be the norm. Like when you come to my house and we offer you ice cream, we're going to have chocolate because I just assume that everybody likes chocolate. My confirmation bias says that the majority of us feel exactly the same way that I feel about any given topic or any given circumstance, that if I do it, everybody ought to be doing it. If I believe it, then everybody ought to believe it. And in study after study at all kinds of major universities and medical centers, they have created these tests to try to figure out how people determine their thoughts and behaviors. So much so that even when people are presented with a contradictory truth and evidence of that truth, they will still stick with their own inherent bias. We are much more apt to believe ourselves than we often are the truth. If you stick around Rolling Hills long enough and I remain with you, you will hear this quote. Many of you already have, and you could finish it as I begin to say it. Augustine, our church father, said that if we believe only what we like about the gospel and reject that which we don't like about the gospel, it's not the gospel we believe, but ourselves. And I think that you can substitute uh, uh, any number of other words in that mix. Like, if we believe only what we like about the Bible, because ultimately, it's not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are good news for us. Start to finish, Genesis to Revelation is a really good word for us. If we believe only what we like about the Bible and reject the things that we don't like, that are inconsistent with our worldview, with our perceptions, or what we think popular culture is and should do. If we, if we believe only the things that we like and reject the things that we don't like, again, it's not the Bible we believe, but ourselves. You can basically just put the word truth in that category. If we believe only the truth that we like only the one that resonates with, with who we are and what our preferences are and what our desires are and what our cravings are and what our understanding of the way the world works is. If we, if we believe only the stuff that we like about the truth and reject the stuff that we don't, it's not the truth that we believe, but ourselves. It's in this way that Augustine keeps me humble and, and keeps reminding me that I'm not the barometer of what truth is in this world. It's God. 
and I see world moving in a certain direction and I'm tempted to jump on board and to move in that direction too. I have an enemy, a, a father of lies, who's whispering false truths in my ear that are, that are enticing, that, that sound good in the moment. And then I have just sinful, selfish, me-first desires that are inside of me, all three warring against me and believing myself, my bias, my thoughts, my perceptions, my feelings, my preferences. I miss out on a really important truth in the book, Comer writes, while the church is not an ethnic minority, and then he, he, he writes, it's important for him to clarify this, because recognizing I'm a middle-aged, shocking for some of you, um, white, not as shocking for all of you, male, hopefully not as shocking, like, I recognize um, that there are biases here where I can't possibly understand what it's like to be someone else, and assuming that everybody out there has or should have my perceptions and my thoughts and my feelings is A, wrong, and B, inconsistent with truth. Like, it is important to note in this moment, while the church is not an ethnic minority, we are what sociologists call a cognitive minority. Here's what it means, that as followers of Jesus, our worldview and our value system and our practices and our social norms are increasingly at sharp odds with those of our host culture. We face constant pressure from every side to assimilate and follow the crowd. If everybody else did it, would you too? Chances are good that we might, even if truth could be proven otherwise. And once we attach ourselves to that narrative in life, and we only see the world confirming our beliefs and our subsets and our understandings, there's a giant problem. And Jesus described it in Matthew chapter 7 is the gate that leads to destruction is really, really wide. And the road that goes there is easy to follow. But narrow is the path that leads to life. And only a few, not just one, but a few will find it. We are to be different. Our thoughts and our opinions and our ideas are not to be the same as that which is in the world around us. It's in your notes this morning, and so if it helps you to stay awake by writing things down as we go, you can grab a pen and fill in blanks as we're moving along. Just because something is widespread, like just because something feels like a, a cultural or even a religious norm, just because something is widespread does not make it worthy. We're picking up in the book of Galatians, which is where we've been this whole series, because that's where we find the fruit of the Spirit. But backing it up, I want to start in verse 19. It says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. They're widespread. You can find them anywhere. The acts of the flesh are obvious. And then he lists them. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. I saw that at Target this week with a little child on. It was y'all you've never. Selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What, we talked for just a minute about maybe doing a series on unfresh fruit. What if you had come in this morning and instead of seeing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control decorating our room, you walked in and there was a giant poster that said debauchery. Like, what if we had chosen to do that fruit series? Like, and you walked in and there was like debauchery and drunkenness and fits of rage and, oh, sexual immorality and impurity and selfish. Like, what if that, like, I just want to go ahead and warn you that if you walk into a church 
And there's a giant poster that says any of that on, like, go away. Like, if one of you comes up to me this morning and says, hey, Pastor Nick, I just want to let you know that this is my last Sunday because we're moving. First of all, if you are, please don't let it be to Texas. And second of all, when you go there, I will encourage you to find another church to belong to and to be a part of. And I'll, I'll, I'll even help you look up some good ones along the way. If you happen to walk into one and you see a giant poster that says sexual immorality on the front of the stage, please just walk out say excuse me debauchery just get immorality like we put love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control on our posters you can stay here but that's the list that's where our cravings that's where our sinful desires that's what's natural that's what's obvious that's what's widespread that's what's everywhere and then he says but fruit of the spirit it's love and joy and peace and patience Kindness. Good. These are the things that the Spirit develops in you that you can't do on your own. But once you are bought and restored to life by the blood of Jesus Christ and you've chosen to follow him with your life, these are the things that the Holy Spirit works inside of you. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it says against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Like we've literally gotten rid of that whole big long wide way of life and chosen to follow a new, more narrow, more distinct, more truth-filled way of life. We've abandoned the lies that the enemy has told us and decided to pursue the truth of what God's word says. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us walk with Him. That's what it's saying. Like, since we are made alive in Christ, since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in that spirit. And because we're made alive in Christ, hear me and understand this. It's not the kind of living that's just breathing and blood pumping and brain activity, all those involuntary actions that just happen inside of you and you don't really do anything to keep moving. Walking in step with the Spirit is not just taking a deep breath. Walking in step with the Spirit is exercise. Walking in step with the Spirit is the choices that you make to follow God's plan and to understand His truth and to embrace what He says about you in this life. It says, let us not become conceited, thinking that everybody feels the same way that I do about absolutely everything or that they don't, they should because they just haven't arrived at the right conclusions yet. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. But then it continues into chapter 6. It says, brothers and sisters... In Christ, that's what we are. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, moving on the widespread path, stuck in a place, believing lies, moving in a direction that's antithetical to the truth of God's word, you who live by the Spirit, that's those people who are focusing on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we are walking in those things, then we should look over and see people who aren't walking those things and restore them emphasis on the word gently here, which we'll talk about next week as we enter into the idea of gentleness. Some of us are in the business of restoring people harshly, and that doesn't work. It's got to be gentle for it to count. Like, should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. That path is wide, and it's enticing, and it says carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anybody thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one should carry their own load. 
these fruits of the Spirit that we identify, that we know that the Spirit is working to develop in us, they're not only meant to be these lofty ideals, they are meant to literally be our identities. These are the ways that the rest of the world ought to be able to look at us and describe us. If they're writing down our names, double names too, on a piece of paper and literally trying to come up with a character trait for each one of the letters in our alphabetical name, like Nicholas, well, he's nice. I, he's intelligent. C, he's, I don't even know what I would come up with that moment, but people ought to identify about us the things that they see in these ways. Like, that ought to be the reputation. These literally ought to be the identity of the believer in Jesus Christ. Like, this is supposed to be what we are as people who walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, and that's where we land today. Faithfulness defined is the Greek word pistis, and it literally means conviction of the truth belief, not in yourself, but what the truth actually says. And because each one of these words does double duty to represent and to mean more than one thing, I love this definition. It means fidelity. That's the commitment that Celia Grace was talking about. And it literally means the character of one who can be relied on. See, practical faith isn't just what we believe. And we believe in one God who gave his one son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross as the punishment and penalty for our sin, only to be raised three days later and to live forevermore, going to prepare a place for us in heaven so that one day, because of our faith and faith alone, sola fide, in him, in him alone, we might be the sons and daughters of God, set apart, chosen and saved, spared from his wrath and given life eternal. Like, that's what we believe. But practical faith, practical faithfulness, is not just what we believe, it's what we do. And according to this passage of Scripture, what we do is repair broken things. As brothers and sisters, if somebody's caught in sin, if somebody's trapped in brokenness, those of us who live by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, reliability, we are to restore that person gently. The word restore in this passage of Scripture literally means to repair or to mend. It means that we get under the hood and that we find out what's wrong. We feel around for the problems and we fix what's broken. We've got to be a people who are constantly looking out for broken things. We've got to spot it, recognize it, and work to mend it. We look out for broken things. It's not just so that we can post it on Yelp or do a product review online. It's literally so that we can fix it. I want to give you the short list of the things that I've fixed just by watching YouTube videos. The wiring harness in the door of my car. Um, You should have seen it. I chose to do this project at night because why wouldn't you? Um, I had my 15-year-old daughter literally meshed into the floorboard of the passenger side of the front seat holding a flashlight in one hand and my phone in the other where she could rewind and go back the YouTube video at any point that I was confused. I was contorted in a way that I'm positive I could never get my body to go back into again where I could remove the old wiring harness and insert the new wiring harness also that my door would work again and that for $30 as opposed to $300 I could repair broken things. I've also replaced 
the water dispenser on the front door of my refrigerator, YouTube video, $11 product, and an hour of my life later, I saved myself literal hundreds. I've replaced the handle on the door of my, apparently I have problems with doors, like wiring harness in a door, water dispenser in a door, handle on the microwave door, all by watching YouTube videos, literally like start, stop, rewind, go back, figure out what you are supposed to do in order to repair things that are broken, to repair things that need fixing. That's what, that's what we're supposed to be as a church. We're supposed to be out there on the lookout, opening up the hood of people's lives, trying to figure out where the broken parts are and go into the instruction manual and figuring out the ways that you and I can be a people of love and peace and joy and gently restore and repair and mend the broken parts of people's lives. That's what we're supposed to do. In faithfulness, we're to be reliable in that way. What we do is we support each other's weight. Oh, that's a really bad illustration, especially based on the breakfast that I ate today. We're supposed to support each other's weight and not pile on added pressure. Verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Burden in this passage of Scripture is the word baros. And that's exactly what it means. It's literally burdens, problems, challenges. And we're supposed to not add to that weight, but actually help carry that weight for people. And that requires you and I being people who are willing to do the extra. Go the extra mile. Turn the extra cheek. Offer the extra clothing. Do the extra thing that supports and that helps and that carries the burden of someone else. In this way, we fulfill the law of Christ. And if you were one of those students that decided because we were zeroing in on just two verses from the book of Galatians, you would go read the whole book. You already encountered Galatians chapter 3, which tells us that we are redeemed and not under the curse of the law. So why should I carry anybody else's burdens? I don't have to be under the law. That's talking about the Old Testament law and the literal weight of expectation that we be obedient to everything that God's word ever said in order to measure up and find favor with God based on our works and based on our decisions that he would only love people who are worthy of him. That's a law that none of us can ever measure up to. You kept reading and you got to verse 5, verse 18 that reminded us yet again before we dived into verse 19 that we are not under the law. It's not the Old Testament law of expectation that we're concerned with. It's the law of Christ, which is love. So we fulfill the law of love when we carry each other's burdens. Jesus' brother James. In Acts chapter 15, there was a whole council about Gentile people who were coming to faith in Christ. And the question mark on the table was, how Jewish do these people need to be? How much of the Old Testament law do they need to be responsible for before we'll let them come into our church of faith in Jesus Christ? And there was an argument on the table about what some of those things were. And James, the brother of Jesus, literally stood up and said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And that was the decision that stood because later on in verse 28, it says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to those people in that council not to burden those Gentiles, you with anything beyond following really simple requirements. We are to carry one another's burdens, meet each other in the mess of the problems and help people work through those things, restoring them gently and repairing them accordingly 
not adding more weight to their lives in the process. When we're walking in step with the Spirit, we, we look for broken things, we support each other's weight, we do the extra, and we take accurate inventory. We take really accurate inventory. It says, if anybody thinks that there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. There are two kinds of people here this morning, most likely. <laughs> Those who feel too highly about themselves, you're deceived but also those who feel too lowly about themselves and are equally as dis Both of those are lies. When we feel too grand about who we are and we elevate ourselves compared to everyone else, it's, it's a lie. Straight from the enemy, along the path of the world, because of our own selfish cravings, it's a lie. It says each one should test their own actions. And then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Comparison leads to depression. Pride in this passage of Scripture is that which any of us glory in. And when we are stuck in comparison, we are glorying in ourselves. And you're like, hold up, wait, Pastor Nick, how can I, as a person who often thinks too little of myself and often struggles with self-esteem, often thinking that I'm not good or not worthy or not loved, how can that possibly be a pride issue where I'm glorying in myself? It's because you're choosing your evaluation of what your life is and should be like instead of God's evaluation of who he says that you are. Anytime we're trusting ourselves, our perceptions, our thoughts, our comparisons, whether they make us feel really good because we're better than those people, or they make us feel really poor because we're not as good as those people, at the end of the day, we're trusting, trusting our own measuring stick of what matters instead of leaning into the goodness of God and knowing that only what he says counts. It's not in your notes this morning, but maybe it should be. You may want to jot this down and, and revisit it later this week. Pride makes people unfaithful. It makes people unreliable. They can't be trusted. They either think too highly of themselves, and they're too busy focusing on number one to care a bit about you, or thinking too lowly about themselves, and they just don't believe that they have anything to offer you in your moment of need. Pride makes people unreliable. Faithfulness is not just about what we believe, it's about what we do. And what we do is trust in Jesus and portray Jesus says in Galatians 6, 5, that each one should carry their own load. And when you read that, you immediately want to put it into a category of the Bible that I like to call, hold up. Like, Paul, if you're going to contradict yourself, you should at least let there be more than three verses in between said sentences. Like, you should put it whole chapters apart, or maybe even in one letter. Like, maybe to the people in Philippi, you should write to them, hey, carry each other's burdens. But to the people in Colossae, you can write to them, hey, carry your own load. Because it just seems like you're saying opposite things in different verses. But only when you look a little deeper and remember that Paul was not writing in English. He was writing in Greek. Like, to me... Burdens and loads, they just sound the same, but they're not. Because burden borrows, that's what we're supposed to pick up and shoulder for one another. 
problems, the challenges, the difficulties that we face in life. We are not to add weight on people's shoulders that prevent them from adequately knowing and following Jesus, but load, in verse 5, it's fortizo. I feel like I should say that with an accent, fortizo. That's what we're supposed to be responsible for. That's the weight of our faith, but When you trace that word back through other parts of scripture, you realize that Jesus gave us a really good gift in its place. It says in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, this is Jesus talking. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. In that sense, it's the word fortizo. You who are loaded down. Even translated as burdened, it literally means Come to me, all you people who got this big load that you're carrying. And he says, I will give you rest. This isn't our baros in life. It's, it's, it's our fortizo, our, our, our load, our spiritual weight. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle, we might talk about that again next week, and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, let's trade. Like you've got this crazy big load of everything that you've got going on in life. It's, it's weighing you down in every aspect. So trade with me. And I'm going to give you something that's lighter to carry. It's lighter for the journey. In fact, it's so light that you're now hands-free able to help somebody else carry their weight in life. You know who can't help anybody else carry their weight in life? Those who are loaded down with too much of their own weight in life. And we get loaded down with too much of our own weight in life when we fail to to trust that Jesus wants to carry that for us in life. And so faith is literally putting our trust in him and saying, Jesus, you're stronger than I am, so carry the weight of my life, carry the weight of my sin, carry the weight of my issues, carry the weight of my faith in your Father. You carry all the heavy stuff, give me a lighter yoke, and then I'm freed up to look around the world and see people who are struggling and offer them a hand. Faithfulness is responsibly carrying the right things. Jesus says, let's trade. I'm going to give you something easier so that you can help somebody else. There's a difference between baros and fortizo. There's a difference between burden and load. The only load that you and I are meant to carry is the one of trusting Jesus. Just putting our faith in him, knowing that his yoke is easier, and now we're freed up, not burdened by anything that the world has put on us, to look around and help the people around us. Doing that means that we have an appropriate view of ourself. We certainly have a right understanding of our Savior. And it means that we understand what it means to offer to the world a reliable faith full people that they can trust. And it was always meant to be a community. It may not be the wide path full of the whole world of people out there, but it was never meant to be a solo gate. John Mark Comer continues to write in Live No Lies. He says that we can't follow Jesus alone. 
And you've met people like that who have just determined that church is not for them, that they don't need a community of faith, that they don't have to be a part of a corporate Bible study, that they can literally, just by themselves and the strength of their own convictions, follow Jesus alone, and that's all they need. And they've abandoned the corporate gathering together of other believers to to worship and to trust. And maybe you've been in that spot a time in your life. You're obviously not there today because you showed up this morning. This is literally a community of faith. And John Mark Comer says we can't follow Jesus alone. Not that we shouldn't, like, not that we won't try, but that we actually can't. That it's somehow impossible He writes, Jesus did not have a disciple, singular. He had disciples, plural. That the call to follow Jesus was and still is a call to join his community of the way. And by following Jesus together, not alone, we're able to discern Jesus' truth and distinguish them from the devil's lies. That only happens together. When we're alone, we're subject to believing the lies of our enemy. When we're together, we're able to help, to help each other override our flesh desires. We're able to help people avoid the traps because of the fruits of the Spirit, and because we can each be relied on to support one another, and we're able to form a robust community of deep relationships that functions countercultural opposite to the way that the world works and that's what you and I need because we're all full of sin we've all believed a lot of lies and we all exist psychologically in such a way that forces us to believe that our way or the majority rule way or that everybody else is doing it way is somehow okay but there's the Jesus way that's countercultural to all that And the only way we're going to get on it and stay there is if we do that together. And the only way we do that together well is if we are people marked by faith. It means that we believe the right things, but then it means that we do the right things and that together we can be trusted. We can rely on each other. Ha ha. We can rely on each other when we're faithful. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be in this place, to tell you that we love you, to tell you corporately that we trust you. Father, we're thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. On good days and bad days and challenges ahead, forcing us to become a people who are more loving more filled with joy, more peaceful and patient, kinder, people who are marked by goodness and ultimately by faith. Faith in you because of who you are and faith in one another because of who you've called us to be. God, my prayer is that you would continue to build a community of faith. People here who are called by your son to love one another and to walk with each other shouldering the loads that each of us have, carrying the burdens that weigh each of us down, knowing that because we have you, we can support each other. I pray, God, that you would continue to do that in such a way that this church family grows because people see it 
because they're attracted to it, because they recognize their need for it, because they can't help but want that type of fellowship, that type of community, and honestly, that kind of support. Jesus, would you be glorified in the things that we say and do because of who you are and because of what we know to be true. It's in your name that we pray today. Amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so that you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History and Parenting podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful you spent some time with us today. We'll see you next time.